Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nixon. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Pierce. All right, welcome back to the show this week, um, where our guest is what I would call a national treasure. If you're in the southeastern United States, you've probably heard of this man. Um, it's one Rick Cleveland. Rick Cleveland is the most decorated sports writer in the history of Mississippi. He's authored five books. He's been recognized 14 times as a Mississippi Sports Writer of the Year. The first one coming in 1973 with the 14th one coming 49 years later. He's been inducted into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame in 2016, the Hattiesburg Hall of Fame in 2018. He received the Richard Wright Award for Literary Excellence in 2011, was inducted into the University of Southern Miss Communications Hall of Fame in 2018, and the USM Alumni Hall of Fame in 2023. And I could read another 44 pages of the things that he's done but we're going to get into the show. Rick, man, I surely appreciate you coming on the show with us. I appreciate being with you, John. Big admirer of your, you and the way your football teams play. Well, I appreciate that, Rick. This is my first question, and this is not even on my list of questions. But after reading the bio, this come to mind. What does it mean? What, what does the word retirement mean to you? I don't know. I don't want, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, people ask me all the time when I'm going to retire and, you know, John, I just love what I do. I'm, 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 as long as I love it and as long as I can do it, uh, I'm, I don't, I, I, retirement is not a word in my vocabulary. You know, Rick, that is the absolute best answer that you could have spit out there because this is my argument. People in my field, you know, people that coach high school football sit around and talk about, you know, we can retire from the state system at 25 or now 30 years. So let's race to get to that 30 year mark and then let's retire. And I'm sitting here thinking like what? I don't even know what retirement means. Like I absolutely love what I do. I love going to work. It's a privilege. It's not work. I mean, I get to go try to make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, I just get tickled at when somebody says, you know, how much longer are you going to go? Well, I don't know. Like, how much longer am I going to live? Like, I'm just now getting pretty good at this stuff. Like, why would I <laughs> stop now? You know, like, it doesn't make any sense. And I know you've been after this writing thing for well over 50 years, and I'm tickled to death that you know you gave that answer because that's exactly what um i would have wanted you to say all right this is my first question take me on a little bit of the journey into sports journalism like what was your inspiration to get into you know the the sports journalism world well john my daddy um uh, ace cleveland 
was a uh, he was the sports editor of the Hattiesburg American when I was born, and then he he also worked later at at the Jackson newspapers, and then he then he went back to Hattiesburg as the sports information director at Southern Miss. So I grew up in a house where the sports writers would come over to our house after the games and talk about the stories they had written and, and what they had seen and why they wrote what they wrote. And they always seemed to have a, they seemed to be having a really <laughs> good time. Right. It didn't seem like they thought like they were working and, you know, I'm my mailman, my, our mailman, our, uh, the guy that did our taxes, the uh, my dentist, my doctor, it didn't seem like they were having as much fun, like they sure. were enjoying what they did as much as those guys, the guys that were over at our house. And so, you know, John, as soon as I figured out I couldn't hit a curveball, hmm. <laughs> I wasn't going to be a major league ball player. Sure. Yeah, I, I was I was in it. I told Dad when I was thirteen that's what I wanted to do. Next thing I knew, the Hattiesburg American called me looking for somebody that would cover high school games for them. And I, that's when I started. I was thirteen wow. years old when I started. So I've been doing. I'm seventy one. So I've been doing it fifty eight years. Wow. You know, you're very fortunate, I think, to to find the thing that you're passionate about at such such a young age. You know, I'm around 17, 18, 19 year olds all day long and a large majority of which have no idea. And that's okay. They don't know yet what they're going to go into. They haven't found that. But one piece of advice that I think you would give them as well as I would give them, find something that you would go do every single day for free and try oh. to make that into a job. Yeah, I've had a uh, the opportunity, you know, through the years to speak to a lot of high school journalists and, 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 and even in my, I, I did a, uh, the, uh, graduation talk at, at, right. at Southern Miss. And, and what I told them was find something that you love. I mean, and, and then find something where it doesn't seem like you're going to work. No and doubt. That's, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't days or games that sure. I've been at that 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 you know it would have been nice to be home with my family and stuff sure. like that. But all in all, going to ball games, being around coaches, being around players, um, and every game, every game is its own passion play, particularly in in Mississippi. I mean, you know sure. here. It's so important to the people involved in it that uh, how can you not? I don't know. I don't see how anybody could not enjoy what I do. Sure. sure. Well, one thing I've learned, you know, having been in Missouri for four years now is, you know, when you have a professional football team in your state, everybody is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. OK, and SEC football or Missouri football kind of takes a back seat to the chiefs, you know, like everything is the chiefs. Well, in Mississippi, you know, not having that professional football team, Ole Miss, Mississippi state, Southern Miss is professional football. Like it is, it takes the passion to another level than 
the passion in, in Missouri for Missouri football, you know, which I, you know, kind of struggle with a little bit, but I think the pro football thing does change it because in Alabama, you don't have pro football, right. And Alabama and Auburn's a way of life, you know, and yeah. I do think that makes it a little bit different. Um, Let me ask you this, How, you know, like early on, you, you decide, I want to, you know, go into this sports journalism thing, you know, like what were some of the things that you did to make yourself better? What are some of the things that you did to try to be the very best? Because now, you know, 58 years later, you know, you are easily recognized as the best to have ever done it. Okay. But that didn't just magically happen. You know, like that took a lot of, it took a lot of hard work. Like what are a few things you did even early on that, you know, maybe helped you get a head start on other people? Well, um, I, I read, <laughs> I went, you know, we got it at my, because of the job my dad had, we got two New Orleans papers, the two Jackson papers, the Hattiesburg paper and the, uh, the Gulf coast paper at my house. But I also wanted to read the best in the nation. So I would go to the public library and look, you know, at the, read red smith and the new york times and 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 jim murray and the uh los angeles times uh Furman bisher and the atlanta paper uh you know just i mean i i didn't try to necessarily imitate them or emulate them but they all had one thing in common is they they wrote about people it's not, you know, they, you 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 deal with X's and O's, but from my standpoint, they're people, no doubt. And so uh, that, I mean, for anybody that was going to go into my business, for any kid, and that, when they asked me what they need to do, I say read, 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 read. And I, I'll be honest with you, I think that goes for no matter what you're going to do but especially what I do. Yes. And, I, you know, I think there's one thing that we talk about on this show pretty regular with the guests from all types of walks of life is number one, success leaves clues. So when you start reading some of the best writers that are out there, like you are leaning upon folks that have done it before you and done it right. You right. know, the fact that you were curious, you know, and that you wanted to read, you know, most leaders are readers. They just are, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter you know, like it doesn't matter who you interview, right? The majority of which that have been on this show, they read, they're curious, they want to learn, they want to get better. They want to hang around people that, you know, do things that they're interested in at a high level, you know? And and I think those are a couple of things that stood out to me from what you said right there. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How have you seen over the years, the landscape of sports journalism evolve especially with the rise of digital media and social platforms, you know, like how has that um, changed? It's changed everything. I mean, everything. Uh, I, I was, you know, I began covering games on manual typewriters and, and calling in the stories to somebody at the paper who took dictation, you know, Hey, Rick. When the 
what was in the paper was news to the people who picked it up. Sure. It ain't, it's not that way anymore. You know, by the time somebody reads what I've written in a newspaper now, uh, golly, they've seen it on Sports Center. They've gotten tweets about it. They, uh, it's on all over Facebook, Instagram, you name it. So, you know, now it's not just so much telling people what happened, but what by what why it happened and what happened behind the scenes that made it happen. Sure. Uh, it's a, the whole business has changed. And and frankly, in a lot of ways, not for the better, because a lot of what you read on social media just didn't true. Mm. <laughs> but if it's out there, that means that people who do what I do have to check it out. And, uh, you know, we and, and, and take it into consideration and. Um, you know, I, I don't like that. I don't like that part of it. Sure. Well, you know, a couple, couple thoughts as I'm taking notes, you know, number one, there are people listening to this that don't know what a typewriter is. Okay. So that's number one. <laughs> um, number two, you know, I think, I think you said a mouthful when you said, you know, like people now with, with social media, like it is, yeah. there's so much information out there that, probably is false how do you filter through what's true what's false and and you know like talking to the person that's you know looking on social media like you know like how, how do you just know i mean because i know there's a lot of fault and people people read something on social media and they think it's true it don't matter what it is they think it's true you know like yeah how well, do you filter through that well you have you hopefully you have some institutional knowledge to begin with and then hopefully you have the contacts that can verify or most times deny you know we we've had a coaching change here as you well know in mississippi in the last couple of days i mean i can't take I, I guess i've seen six or seven people name they know for a fact who the next mississippi state football coach is going to be sure well, they don't <laughs> because the people who are hiring don't, you know. So, right. uh, you know, you just have to you just have to wade through it and and do the best job you can of of, of uh, tell them what you know. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, this is this is a side note. This is off topic a little bit. What's your thoughts on the current state of, you know, like. There was just one guy let go in the SEC that woke up today and was like $78 million richer for not coaching football. You know, like what, what about these payouts that these coaches are getting to walk away? What, what do you think about that? It's, it's, it's idiocy. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, um, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, Jimbo Fisher is going to make $200,000 a day for the next seven years, and he doesn't have to do anything. It's unbelievable. And, uh, 
what's what's even more unbelievable about it, John, is that they're fixing to go out and hire somebody else, and they're going to pay him even more. Yep. And uh, you know the the thing, and and of course I'm dealing more here with the Mississippi State situation, yeah. and Zach Arnett, and he's getting um he's his payout is like four and a half million, but it's mitigated. If he takes another job, Mississippi right. State subtract that salary from it. So, sure. it, um, but the people I worry about, you know, the football, you, you go to the, any athletic department's uh, directory and you look at under the football and see how many people are down that list. And it's not just the, the 10 assistant coaches. It's, you sure. know, I feel for those people because yeah, they're no they doubt. don't know where they're working next year. No doubt. And no. they don't have buyouts. Right. So there's so there's there's so many more people that are affected by, but you know, and this is not your original question, but it's I feel I feel the urge to talk about it anyway, is that I don't like how much money is involved in anything where college sports is concerned. I don't like the four minute timeouts that you have four TV timeouts, four times a game so that, you know, they can sell all their products and, and, but it, it, it's terrible for people who are actually at the game. It's not so bad if you're at home watching on TV because sure. you can flip it back and see what's going on in another game. But if you're at the game, it's excruciating. It's an all-day I event. I don't, like, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that you can out-and-out out buy players now. It's legal. Right. I just don't, don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. This yeah. isn't what they had in mind when, when they first teed it up in 1869. <laughs> <laughs> it is not what they had in mind. No, and it's uh, – you know, I just I, I don't like the entire direction of it and and, the you know, really, the, you're not putting that cat back in that bag. Right. No, it's not going back in the bag. You know, and that was even in 1989 when I graduated from Pearl and I signed that half scholarship to Heinz Community College. Like I was excited. I mean, I was yeah. getting half of my school paid for, of which me and my parents would have struggled to pay for you know and yeah i just know for years and years and years that college scholarship to go to school meant something and now it means nothing you know like that's that that is not even brought up man how much you know can you pay me and i'm with you i don't see i see college sports trending more toward the nfl than i see anything and you know i don't know it is then it is the nfl now right it It, it, basically that's what at the highest level, at the power five level. Yes. I, I, I've covered 27 Super Bowls and, and every big football bowl game there is. What I enjoy a lot more than that nowadays is high school football. Amen. I love just and crazy about uh, small town high school football. No doubt. That 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 is still that you know if you was to bounce up to Nixon, Missouri, or you walk into you know some of the places in Mississippi, that's still real. You know, like it's still played for the right reason. 
they're still coming from the city to support the team. And, you know, that is, you know, as good as it gets, no doubt about it. No doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's the most important thing yep. in town. And, no doubt. And it's, and, and it's the kids are playing because they love the game. Sure. And, um, that's not necessarily the way it is in college football now. Right. All right, getting into the writing a little bit. How do you balance being objective when you're passionate about a topic, a human, um, a team? You know, how do you balance that as a writer? You know, when you feel really close to, you know, a, a, a team, a person of thought, you know, but, you know, you're trying to be objective. How do you handle that? Well, I had the best training in the world for that because I, I, grew up in a house where my dad was the worked at the school, the the college that was in my hometown. Sure. Um, but he told me, my dad told me early on, you know, said, son, you don't, you don't, you don't work for Southern Miss. You, you work for your readers. You mm. need, that's what you need to have in mind. And then, and that's what I've always tried to do what I found out, John, from from being in the, doing this for more than half a century, is that uh, it's I, I, it's people that I have a harder time. Uh, the relationships that you develop with people more so than schools. Sure, I find myself silently pulling for a coach that I really admire and have come to know know as a person more so than I do a school and and but at the same time I got to remember that I'm working for the reader I'm right. I'm trying to tell them what what truly happened and why it happened you know well I think that goes back you know one of the other notes I had taken about three or four points ago was you know in your business it's still about the humans you know so yeah the human aspect of you know, the, the article or the story, you know, I can see that being tough. And then, you know, in my line of work, you know, like X's and O's, gosh, you're going to go to the state championship games here in a couple of weeks. And there's going to be teams run the wing tee. There's going to be teams run a spread. There's going to be teams, everything under the sun. But the reason why they're winning is because of the humans, you know, it's because of the human aspect of the game and the relational part of it is, what sets people apart. And I would argue that's the same way if you're running Miss Kelly's furniture or you're running, you know, the Knicks of Eagles, it's about the humans that are behind it. And I knew, you know, knowing you, I know that's tough. I know, you know, when you develop relationships and, you know, a lot of respect for somebody, then you got to turn around and write about their dismissal or something. That's got to be tough. You know, it's got to be tough. Well, it's like the, with the, the Mississippi state, football situation uh this you know a lot of those guys on that staff i haven't i, I haven't known zach arnett very long but i've known a lot of those other sure. coaches for a long time right and i covered the will rogers mm. high school you know i covered him playing against your teams <laughs> that's right so i mean i'm i'm but you have you you just have to try to um, put it you know put it aside. 
I've known Will Will Hall, the coach at Southern Miss, since he was a kid. No doubt about it. And I'm crazy about him, uh, you know. But they're they're three and seven, and have struggled. And you know, you got to still tell the truth. Sure. You know that brings up another point that I'm not crazy about, and that is, you know, because me and Will Hall are good friends, and you know. In this world we live in, there isn't much grace given, you know, like it is what have you done for me lately? And I'm not crazy about that. You know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, but it but and I think social media speeds everything up as well, you know, because you take those, you know, although they're three and whatever this year, you know, they just went to a bowl game last year, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's not it's not like everything just you know, plummeted and fell off and there's no hope. I mean, but people are brutal around sports. People are so passionate about sports. You know, like uh, uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks, they fired a coach years ago that won the West back-to-back years. They ain't won the West since and they fired him. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I've watched Ole Miss do that over the years. Like, be really good, have a bad season, and ship them on out. You know what I mean? And I just – I don't know. That's the part of sports that's tough, especially if you're a football coach. You know that is. Well, yeah, it's well, and if you're if you're a human being that writes about it, it it's also gets to be tough. You know, no doubt. All right, take me through this. You know what what is walk me through like you're writing when you're covering a sports story or writing a column. Like, what's that process like? Well, my my I go into every covering an event I, I ask it you know while the game progresses I am thinking about what is the most interesting thing that will interest the most readers that I have and center on that and and try to uh, it may be one play it may be one player. It may be a coaching decision. It, it there's you know you go into every, every game's different. And but my my task is to pick out the what's going to be the most interesting, important thing to the people who are going to read the story and and to try to tell it in in number one an informative way and number two an entertaining way that's does it do you know it when you see it yeah but sometimes it changes later in the game (laughs) (laughs) i can understand that and there's sometimes it changes after the game when you're in the locker room and you and you're finding out why somebody did something it's uh, or you know it's uh what you're trying to do john is is put put your reader there you know yeah no doubt about it and um, so it it can it certainly can change. Well, you know, I'm a I'm an avid reader and I read a lot. And there are some people who just have a knack at putting you there. You know, as you read it, you feel like you're there. And I think that's what separates you and some of the greatest writers in the world is you are present at the story that they are telling. You know, they are you are and they are great storytellers. Let me ask you this. Some of the best teams 
teams that you've covered over the years, what are some of the qualities that they may have had in common? Teams? Uh, Any sport? I've never, covered, I've never covered a team that was really successful that didn't like each other. Mm. I don't, I don't, I mean, I've never, there, I've never, and, and I've also never covered a team that didn't respect the head man. I've said, I've covered some teams that, that were successful where the, not all the players liked the head guy, sure, but they damn sure respected him. Sure. You know, and, uh, as far as the, the you know one one thing in Mississippi that I've been fortunate to do is as I've covered the greatest football players on the planet. Yep. You know Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, uh, Brett Favre, Archie Manning. You go on and on. Jackie Slater. Um, the one thing that they all have in common, every one of them, is they were also they were not only in some cases, the most talented player, but they worked harder than everybody else. Anybody that ever saw Walter Payton work off, work out in the off season, right? It, it was, it was mind-boggling what he would do: running the stadium, running up the banks of levees of rivers and stuff. And uh, uh, that's that's hard work. It doesn't matter whether you're doing what you do, what I do. And what players do, there's no substitute for it. No, there's no, you know, like people, and I think this is one thing that the social, you know, the social media does now is, you know, you you portray Tom Brady and you see the you see the fruits of his labor, but what you don't see is what he was doing when he was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. He was outworking everybody out there. You know, like he was yeah. living differently. He was eating differently. He was sleeping differently. He was working out when the rest of the team was sleeping. Like, you know, and, and the guys that, you know, it's interesting that you said that the best, you know, from the state of Mississippi, which has had some fantastic is they just work harder and people don't see that part of it. That's not the part that, you know, is on ESPN. It's not, you know, they think Michael Jordan was born Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan was probably born with similar characteristics of a lot of people on this earth, but he worked harder and did more than the average human did, you know, no doubt about it. Is there anything else that all of those people kind of share in common, you know, other than they were all the hardest working people? Dirty caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive subconcussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment. Well, they love what they did, mm. for sure. Uh, but one one quick story about Jerry Rice. I was covering the, one of the Super Bowls he played in down in Miami, and he had the flu, and they didn't know he, he had to take IVs before the game and at halftime. Then he separated his shoulder in the third 
quarter and had to go into the locker room and come back. Uh, he caught 10 passes uh, for about 200 yards and three touchdowns in the game. And so I wrote about that. But then a day or two later, I was trying to run him down to do a follow-up. And I called the 49ers facility uh, to see if they knew where he was or how I could get him. And, and the guy said, well, I'm looking out the window and he's out there on the field working out right now. Wow. I said, what? He said, yeah, he's the only one here, but he's out on the field working out right now. Wow. So that tells you something right there. That tells you something right there. I've heard that story before and I believe, I believe that story, you know, could be, told of a lot of those guys that were special like him, you know, like Walter Payton, Tom Brady, you know, they just do things differently. No doubt about it. And, and, and with Jerry and with Walter and with Brett, just to mention three of them, none of those guys were highly recruited. No. I mean, none of them. Uh, Jerry had two offers, Valley and Mississippi Valley state and Jackson state. Right. And uh, Jackson State really only offered him because of his older brother. Right. You know, you just never know. Uh, he was he was 5'11 and uh, 180 pounds when he graduated from high school. He didn't have blazing speed, and nobody no nobody recruited him. But he 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 grew. He got faster, and that happens with some 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 guys. I heard this story. You probably know this. Um, there, whatever junior college that Walter Payton um, was in, that is his coach's claim to fame was he offered him a half scholarship. He would have been going to Pearl River. Yeah, the, it was whoever the coach was says his. That's what he's most famous for is offering Walter Payton well, a half scholarship. The, the more the, the the thing about Walter is that. You know, he came along right at the cusp of integration in, in Mississippi. Right. Uh, and on his his senior, his last game, his senior season, he scored six touchdowns. But on the last touchdown, he turned around and ran the last 30 yards backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last straw for some of the, you know, Ole Miss State and sure. Southern. Southern's 26 miles away. Wow. They didn't recruit him. Wow. Isn't that something? I'm going to say there's a few folks that in the day regretted that decision. Well, as a coach, John, do you think you could have taught him just to hand the ball to the referee? Oh, yeah. But you couldn't teach him to score six touchdowns. <laughs> no, no, no. That, the, the good Lord blessed him with some of that, no doubt about it. And the, yeah. and the you know, and the fortitude to do that and to work at it like he did. Some Some people are different. There's no doubt about it. They have That's a different right. work ethic. You know, they do work harder. Let me ask you this. Have you had a, you know, if I ask you what's your uh, favorite, do you have a favorite interview of all time? Wow. I've had so many really, really great ones. Do you have one or two that stick out to you? <sighs> I'm trying to think. Oh, well, my best ever was Bear Bryant. Uh, I was, I was a, 17-year-old sports writer in Hattiesburg, and they were about to play Southern in a game. It was the week after. You remember when they unveiled the wishbone at yep. uh, 
at the L.A. Coliseum and knocked off Southern Cal. And uh, anyway, I had a flat tire on the way, and I was late getting there. I didn't make it in time for his press conference and uh, begged, begged to get in to get five minutes with him. And I ended up spending an hour. Really? He took me out and up on the tower that he coached wow. out of. And uh, people ask me all the time, who's the favorite, who's your favorite coach you ever covered? And Bear Bryant, no doubt about it. What He's was the, what was the topic? But he was the one. What was, what was the topic? You know, like what was the, you know, what was something you discussed? Well, you know, we, we, my reason for being there was the fact that they were playing Southern that week. And of right. course he made Southern sound like, and they were a very mediocre football team at the right. time. He, he made them sound like, the 1965 Green Bay Packers. Right. And and he 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 made his team sound like they were too small and too slow to play with to play with those boys from Hattiesburg. And the the final score the, the following Saturday was 63 to 14. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well that was Bear Bryant is one of the very first book that I ever read because I wasn't a reader, you know, I, I became a reader. And the very first book I picked up in 1994 was Bear Bryant. It was his autobiography, Bear Bryant. And I read that. John I wasn't Hunter a reader, but I, yeah. I devoured it. And I'm going to tell you what, honest to God, truth. This is a true story. Nobody knows this. I'm in the library at Pearl Junior High. We're having our teacher orientation. This is my first year as a teacher. And I'm bored stiff, okay, because teacher orientation Woo, boy, it leaves something to be desired. So we're in the library and I turn around and grab a book. It's Bear Bryant's book, you know? So I grab it and I start reading it. Well, I, I, I get into it. So then I ask the lady, can I check it out? So I check out the book and I take it home and man, I devour it. Absolutely phenomenal book. Well, I get done with the book. I flip to the last page and it's signed. Best wishes, Paul Bear Bryant. No joke, I'm, I still got the book. Well, so I go back to the lady in the library. I said, look, I lost the book. I just lost it. Like, I can't find it. I said, I'll pay for it. I said, how much is it? She looked it up. She said, that'll be 25 cents. Because it was an old book. It was really old, okay? Well, I said, okay. I pulled out a quarter and gave it to her. And I said, you got another one of them? Because I'd like to buy another one. <laughs> That's a true story. I still have that book. That book was written possession. by John Underwood. Yep. And uh, it is it's one of the best biographies I've I've ever. He also wrote the the book of Manning, the yeah, story that's right. Archie and his sons. Hey, well, let me, let's do this real quick. This is a great spot. You know, coach me up on some of the book. I know you've written. You just come out with your fifth book. Okay, tell me that that's your fifth one. Tell me about tell me about that book and tell me how um, our listeners can purchase it. Because you know what I want them to do is this. I want them, the ones that, you know, the ones that know you, they're going to, they're already in, but you know, if there's somebody listening that hasn't seen or heard or, or been around the writing of Rick Cleveland, how, how do they buy the book? Well, it, the, the, my, the newest book is uh, the Mississippi football book and it was published by Nautilus publishing and uh, it's Nautilus, Nautilus 
publishing.com. Of course, you can buy it from uh, um, oh shit, Amazon. Yeah. You, know, you can buy it. And in any independent bookstore in Mississippi, uh, I know you have a lot of listeners in Mississippi. And For sure. Murier, Square Books, uh, all the big independent stores have it. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it came out in August and it was the leading selling book in Mississippi in September. So wow. you must've done something right. Yeah. They ain't no doubt. They ain't no doubt. What, what if is you can't the, sell Mississippi. If you can't sell football in Mississippi, they something wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will, I will, um, in the show notes on the show, I will put a link to the book where they can go on there and buy it. Um, for sure. Okay. Uh I love the Bear Bryant uh, piece. I'm glad that, you know, we talked about that. I guess another question along that line, can you remember, you know, like a funny moment, something that, you know, was kind of sporadic or something that took you off guard, a comical moment, you know, while interviewing, reporting or something like that? Well, one thing comes immediately to mind, you know, you get no commented a lot in my business. Sure. By players and coaches, there's no comment. The best no comment I ever got, I was, this is first year at the Clarence Ledger and I'm covering Mississippi State and then they got all kinds of problems going on in their basketball program. They got, they didn't like each other. One, one player slashed another player's tires. It was all kinds of stuff going. One player pulled a gun on another player. <laughs> I mean, this, this was, this was serious stuff. Sure. And I, I was doing an investigative report on it. And they had a, a freshman uh, player from Bastrop, Louisiana. And I remember I asked, I said, "Do you did is it true that so and so pulled a gun on another son on another player?" And he said, uh, he didn't say no comment. He said, "I ain't saying nothing to nobody about nothing." <laughs> he had his story together. Yeah, it, it was a lot better than no comment, sure. and he got it. It did get in the paper too. Sure, uh, and 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 you knew you knew you knew exactly what he meant. Yeah, I knew exactly what, in no uncertain terms. I knew right. what he. Uh, it been a lot of a lot of, you know, a lot of funny moments. You remember the time Ray Guy hit the gondola in the Superdome? I remember hearing about it. He was in the pro ball, pro bowl, and he, he uh, I, I, that was the first thought when I heard the pro bowl was going to be played in the Superdome is that, that they, they're going to have to raise that gondola or wow. right guys gonna hit it. <laughs> and uh, so they, my brother, Bobby was on the field uh, taking photos that game and he knew Ray from college and Ray said, Hey, Bobby, watch this. He goes out there and the punt hit the gondola on the way up the scoreboard, wow. you know. Uh, wow. Just an amazing moment. What uh, about the, that? The, the fact he told my brother, he said, watch this. Well, he was a phenomenal dude. There's no doubt about that. Like, you know, there may never be another uh, Ray guy. That's a fact. Um, he's uh, best punter ever, but also he's probably the best athlete i've ever covered when you take into consideration everything hand-eye coordination wow. he was a great defense he still holds school interception record really 
Yeah, wow. I did not know that. Drafted three times in Major League Baseball. Wow. Hey, let me ask you this. One of my favorite moments that I remember as a kid, and I wasn't there. Uh, you might have been there, but the uh, Ole Miss-Mississippi State game, the windblown ball. John, you that was 1985? Is that it might have been, or a little earlier than that, possibly. I remember because I was playing football out in the front yard, and I was listening to it on the radio. That's yeah. how I was getting the game. You know what I'm saying? Like that was a memorable moment to me because it was. Well, there was a, there's a, there's a very definitive story about it in the Mississippi football book that I was that awesome. we were discussing earlier. Artie Cosby is, yep, point blank. I mean, it was like a 25 yard field goal, yep. um, and he hit it. I'm standing underneath the goalpost, and he hit it perfect. I mean, it was going straight through. 85 mile an hour straight line wind came out of the south at the open end of that stadium yep. and it blew the ball straight up in there and then straight back it's the only field goal i've ever seen celebrated by both teams <laughs> that's a fact oh the state players thought they had won the game sure. sure and then it blew back in the field and they hit the ground and the old miss players started celebrating Sure. Well, as a, you know, I grew up an Ole Miss fan. Archie Manning was my hero. And I remember in the yard that day, the call was, it was good. And then it was not good. You know, like it was just weird. You know, you don't, you don't often hear it's good. No, it's not. <laughs> I think that you must've been listening to Jack Crystal. Probably so. His call. Yep. It was eight, 1983. It's coming back to me. Then. Yep. That's it. I was 12 years old playing out in the front yard, 11 or 12. Billy Brewer's uh, Billy Brewer's first year as Ole Miss coach and Emory Ballard's fourth year at uh, Mississippi State. Wow. I interviewed I am interviewed Emory right after the game. I just had a bowl of chili at the house. Hold on, just a second, John. Okay. <laughs> I hope you can edit this. No, we're all good. Yeah, my wife can. Uh, she, she can jump in with you. <laughs> anyway. What I was going to say is that uh, I interviewed Emory Ballard right after the game. And Emory, I said, Coach, I don't even know what to say. And he said, he said, you can write this in your damn newspaper. He said, God just decided that Mississippi State wasn't going to win this game. <laughs> That's a fact. I, I remember that. I mean, and I wrote it. If you were if you you were playing in your front yard in Pearl, I sure that was. Yeah, that was pretty windy right there, wasn't it? It was, no doubt about it. But back in yeah. the day, we weren't as sheltered as we are today. Today, yeah. we wouldn't have been allowed to play in the yard, but yeah, back then it wasn't. That, that was an good. unbelievable thing to see. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you this, and I'm gonna we'll, we'll get. I've, I've I've taken up enough of your time, and I'm you know thoroughly enjoyed it. Give me, give me, you don't have to put them in order. Okay. And I think I've heard you say this before. Give me the top three or so high school football players that you've seen play football in the state of Mississippi. Marcus Dupree, Cam Akers. Um, golly. 
I mean, those those two. Those are the two. Uh, probably go back to Walter, and I sure. only saw him play in person one time. Uh, Walter Payton, uh, three mighty good ones right there. Yeah, I've you know I, I've only seen tape of Marcus Dupree, but I've heard stories because uh, they played Pearl in a bowl game. You know, and they were, you know, Marcus was this, this, and this. And true story, Coach Johnson, who's been around Pearl forever, Pearl would not kick it to Marcus Dupree in the bowl game. They just wouldn't because Doug Merchant knew better. At the end of the game, Pearl's beating them pretty good. And um, Coach Jay says, you know, why don't we kick it to him? I mean, all the fans wanted him to kick it to Marcus Dupree. They're all sure. saying, kick it to him, kick it to him, kick it to him. Coach Jay says, well, why don't we kick it to him? That's what they want. So they kicked it to him, and 100 yards later, he was in the other end zone. The one time they kicked it to him, you know. John, um, it was unbelievable. He was I've heard a lot of stories. Biggest guy on the field, fastest guy on the field, strongest guy on the field. Right. It, it was – It was. he He really could have been the best that ever was. No doubt. No doubt. And then I've, I've been up in close and personal with Cam Akers. You know, like we'd have one more – um, state championship ring if it was not for that day in uh December of 2017 when he put on one of the finest nights of football that I've ever had to witness and it just so happened I was on the wrong side but he was phenomenal. I was there I was there it was um your guys were in position all game long it just didn't he was too good we didn't have cam acres you know like and I told I told our team, you know, the other day in a team meeting that, you know, when when you give everything you have into the game and you don't make mistakes and you play hard and you like that night, man, I really wasn't overly disappointed. Like I thought our team played as good as we could play. They had Cam Akers, you know, and that's the moral of the story, you know, like he made every play he had to make and he made uh, every play. But that was the night also, the first time. I knew who Tyler Knight was. Yes, no doubt. And you know, you what a special in my and I'm 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 year 30 and he's the best high school football player that I've ever coached because of what he could do for everybody around him and his heart and his courage and his man, he was a firecracker. He was the he's the real deal. He was the best player in the state the next year. No doubt about it. I mean, the best, and he, you know, pound for pound, he's still about as good as I've hey, ever seen. This dude played Division One football at five, six and a half, one hundred and seventy-eight pounds. That's how good he was. He and you remember, I wrote time after time yep. his senior year. You people need to, <laughs> you need to wake up. Yep, I mean, no he doubt. Didn't have a, he didn't have an offer. No. He ended up getting Louisiana Lafayette late and then got Ole Miss like the week before signing day. And I will never forget Matt Luke uh, had just lost a center or the center went to Southern Miss, but they had not offered him because he was two inches too short. But he was a really, really good high school football player. Can't remember, maybe from Brookhaven. Um, but then 
you know, he called and he said, man, I lost one player over two inches. I'm not losing another great high school football player over a couple of inches. And, you know, we want to offer him. And, I, you know, I was excited for Tylen because he, I think he had grown up, you know, an Ole Miss fan because he had an uncle that played corner there, Chris Knight. And, you know, but it worked out. It worked out the way it was supposed to work out. He so. ended up having a hell of a senior season at Southern. He did. No doubt about it. And what's funny about that is, you know, like, I started, we started going to Will Hall and his dad used to run a quarterback camp at Millsaps. Well, Tyler Knight went to that quarterback camp when he was in the fifth grade. Like I'd take him with me. And so Will had known him practically his whole life, you know, so I was glad that that was, that worked out like it did. Yeah. Well, Will has a, uh, he has a soft spot for undersized football players because he was <laughs> one. And he was a fantastic one, you know, like he was. he was a rock star of a football player at five foot nine, maybe. Um, but won when you the Harlan to, Hill trophy, yeah, when you win the Harlan Hill at five foot nine, you're yeah. pretty, you're a pretty good football player. You know what I'm saying? Right. But he comes from pretty good bloodlines too. Like his football IQ probably higher than the average person. Yeah. How many times did you coach against Mike justice? You know what? Not, not, many because you know my first game I ever coached as an assistant coach at Pearl in 1994 was against Mike Justice at what was Madison Ridgeland you know what I'm saying uh -huh. um, and not many after that not a whole lot well I was just gonna say it because I play golf against him about two or three times a week and he treats me the way he treated most of the high school football teams <laughs> <laughs> he beat you pretty good then yeah yeah, yeah, he, he, he does he it the same the way every time. Yeah, you know? he was phenomenal, no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, Rick, man, I thoroughly appreciate um, you being with us today. I got one last question. All right. What makes Rick Cleveland happy? My family. Mm. You know, uh, I got a son that does what I do, and – uh, a daughter who, you know, was a uh, third-year law student at, at Tulane. And, uh, you know, my wife, uh, I, I, my, I, my family is what makes me happy. Sure. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not retired, but I'm not traveling as much as I used to, so I'm getting to spend some more time around them. I'm, that's, sure. That's the first thing that comes to mind, buddy, when you ask me what's the most important to me. Yo, I appreciate that, Rick. Man, and I appreciate you being with us, man. I hope everybody that listens has loved it as much as I have. And, you know, I want to wish you the best, man. Keep writing. Your answer about retirement's the best I've ever heard. I'm pumped about that because I don't much have plans on that myself, man. I love what I do, and I know you love what you do, and you are fantastic at it. You are a national treasure, and it has been an honor for you to allow me the honor of, you know, interviewing uh, interviewing you on this podcast, Rick. So I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. We're going to, Tyler and I are going to have to get you on our podcast. Well, I'll sure do it, man. We'll wait till you're not quite as busy as you are right now. For sure. For sure. That will be awesome, man. Everybody that's listening, man, if you like it, share it, uh, rate it, you know, leave a review or let me know what you think, man. I appreciate all of you um, for listening. Until next time. Adios, amigos.